This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Good afternoon. Merry Christmas. Glad to have you, all of you, and we have a lot of guests always on Christmas Eve, folks in town uh, for the holiday, and, and thank you for joining with us and being part of our Christmas Eve celebration, and um, I love that we began with, uh, which is not, yeah, I mean, it's a Christmas song, but little drummer boy, you know, <laughs> I love that arrangement, and uh, I even told a parent, so you might want to take your little one out uh, before the beginning starts, so, because it's going to be loud. And, uh, but I think when the angels came and praised God on the shepherd's site, I don't think they were really quiet. I don't think they were too concerned about volume. And uh, that's what it's going to be like in heaven, the Bible tells us. It's going to be a loud, loud noise. So thanks for worshiping with us. This is our 28th consecutive year uh, to have communion on Christmas Eve. I remember when the first time that we, we did this and began it. Um, let me encourage you, if you're a guest, let me encourage you to visit our website, nagsheadchurch.org, and watch uh, the series that we're concluding this afternoon. It's the end of a series, four-part series. Let me encourage you to, to spend some time and get on YouTube and watch our podcast. And, <clears throat> and at the end of the service, we're going, as you were told, we're going to have a candlelight time as we sing the very last song, Silent Night. And so if you got a candle, uh, we want you to light it then, and, uh, and, and then we'll turn the lights down low and and sing this great song as we uh, we wrap up uh, today. It's also our tradition, as you've been told, that we have communion. We do communion throughout the year, but but uh, we're having communion today, and uh, we've given this offering, and thank you for participating in that. Uh, we're going to read the Christmas story uh, this afternoon as it's given in Matthew and Luke's Gospels, and then briefly tie up the loose ends of the series that we've been through the last three week, through few weeks, a couple of weeks here at Nags Head Church. And uh, so you'll be familiar, but I'd like for you to take a Bible and, and uh, if you have one near you, and you should, uh, within your reach, and turn with me when we get to those. Uh, just to kind of get to where we are today uh, as our kind of review a little bit of where we've been, for, especially for those of you who have not been here up to this point, the Savior, the Bible tells us, would come. I saw this question on Facebook the other day by a friend of mine. He said, wonder why it took God 4,000 years to bring Jesus. And we know it was about that time, length of time for when he was first promised in the Garden of Eden. Why did it take him 4,000 years? And, and because I've been studying and know this, what it says in our series, I said, I have the answer. And uh, we read the answer. I'm going to read it to you right now. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, that says, when the fullness of time was come, had come. Another version says, when the time was complete, why did it take God 4,000 years to get the time ready? When the time was complete, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. So the plan was created in heaven, we've seen, between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world, Peter told us in 1 Peter 1, 18 uh, um, and, uh, through 21, before the world was created, this plan came into being. And the plan was first announced, not by the shepherds. The plan was first announced the day that Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden when God gave this warning to the serpent who had 
deceived Eve and tempted her. He said to the serpent, I will put hostility between you and the woman. Now, the woman being not being Eve there, and I'm sure that's what they thought, the woman would come 4,000 years later in the form of a teenage virgin girl. I'll put hostility between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. And he, her seed, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So what do you mean? How do we know what, what was so important about the time when Jesus was born that God sent him then? So let me just bring out several historical things that made it the right time. When Christ was born, there was peace in the world. There was peace already in the world because of the powerful Romans that had dominance over most of the world, but they were in control of Judea where Jesus was born. There there was peace in the world. Uh, No passports were needed to travel around to other nations. And the world that they controlled was from Europe to Northern Africa to India, all part of that empire. Peace in the world. It was called the Pax, the peace, the Latin term, Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. Then also, major highways have been improved. They had, a, if you'll call that, an interstate system uh, that the Romans had built for travel and commerce. And there are great roads all over the Roman Empire, <coughs> excuse me, to get from one place to another. And perhaps most importantly, there was a universal common language that was all over the empire. And that was brought to the empire before the Romans were in control by a fellow by the name of, you've heard of him maybe, Alexander the Great. You ever hear of that guy? He wanted, with this vast empire that he conquered, that the Romans then took over when they conquered Greece, he wanted there to be one language that everybody in his empire understood. And so, of course, he chose Greek, he being Greek himself, but they sort of invented their own kind of Greek. The name of it is Koine Greek, it's a, and it was the Greek of the common man. You didn't have to be a scholar to learn Greek, and it was a very exact language. And you say, why was that so important when Jesus was born? Because 33 years later, he would say to his disciples, what did he say to them? As you're going into all the world, I want you to proclaim the gospel. I want you to make disciples. I want you to share the good news. And so they had the roads, they had the peace, they didn't need a passport, and they had a language that everybody everywhere they went spoke. In fact, your New Testament was written in that Greek language. So there they had everybody, and everybody allowed for communication from Rome to Delhi to to be understood. And, And these things made the time complete for the spread of the gospel as these missionaries went out with the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. So On Christmas, when we arrive with this story in the Gospels, we find ourselves in Palestine, starting in Nazareth in the north to Bethlehem in the south, a distance of, I told, about 70 miles uh, during the reign of an emperor in Rome by the name of Caesar Augustus. I want you to look with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 26. If you're using a Bible in the chair, under the chairs, on page 940. Luke Chapter 1, verse 26. Follow along with me while I read. In the sixth month. Now, I understand what sixth month of what? Some people say, is that the sixth month of the year? What is the sixth month of? But if you back up one verse, just look backwards one verse. Verse 24, talking about Elizabeth, Jesus' cousin, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, 
she conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. And then the next verse in verse 26, and in the sixth month, the sixth month meaning, I believe, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you found favor with God. And now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And you will call his name Jesus. Now we've talked about that with the story of, of Simeon. Jesus, the Hebrew would be Yeshua. We sometimes turn that into Joshua in our English language or Jesus, which is the Greek. And it all means Jesus or God, Jehovah saves. You'll call his name Jesus and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David in response to all those Old Testament prophecies. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, okay, that's really neat, but how in the world is that going to happen? How can this be since I have not been intimate with a man? And the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth, your cousin Elizabeth. Think about her for a second. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for, who, for her who was called childless. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Because everybody says, well, that's impossible. What he told her is impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary's response was very simply, very humbly, I am the Lord's slave, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, page 885, if you need that. And verse 18, the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. Now you say, well, they weren't married yet. Why get divorced? Because in their culture, the betrothal, the engagement, was it was as solid and as tight as a, as a marriage. So in order to break that, there had to be a, a divorce decree. And he decided he would just quietly uh, divorce her, not to shame her publicly. But after he had considered these things, that's what I'll do. That's, that's, I guess that's the best thing to do. An angel of the Lord appeared, suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Well, why would he be, why would he be afraid to do that? Well, one reason would be because of the shame, the embarrassment, when he would say, but it's not my child, and everybody said, well, then whose baby is it, Joseph? She's been cheating on you. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Same thing he has, he's telling Mary. You name him Jesus because, explaining the name of Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, but through the Lord, by the Lord, through the prophet. 
Verse 23, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. That's from Isaiah, quoting Isaiah, which is translated, Emmanuel, God is with us. And then Joseph got up from sleeping, and he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and she and he named him Jesus. In their Jewish culture, teenaged and unwed pregnancies were not common. They were not acceptable. God's law that had been given them through Moses 1,500 years ago made it punishable. Unmarried, premarital, extramarital, sexual relations is punishable by stoning. So you can imagine the talk around Nazareth when Mary, this humble young woman, who was betrothed, and again, similar to engagement to an honorable carpenter, returned home from an extended visit with her cousin Elizabeth and was obviously showing. She's about three months along. And if Joseph was not the father, and he knew he could not be, then who was? And surely if she was involved with a man in Judea while she had been gone to visit her cousin Elizabeth during her visit, that's what people began to talk about in the whispering in the gospel. And, or, and maybe it had been forced upon her. Nobody knew. Only thing everybody knew was, as they whispered, Mary's pregnant. And they're not married. It's fascinating to me as we have these last couple of weeks looked at this ancient plan to bring the Messiah, the Savior, into to the world. To see that all that plan that goes back from before the foundation of the world, goes back to the Garden of Eden, goes through all those characters in the Old Testament that we've been talking about, all those prophecies, to see that it culminates in a story whose cast members are otherwise unknown. We would never, ever have heard of Mary or Joseph, would we? Living in a tiny village by the Sea of Galilee. It's fascinating to me that God, who is perfect in every way would bring about the birth of his son with the cloud of scandal hovering over his mother, the woman whose promised seed would become the Savior who would crush the head of Satan. But as I've told you in the series, and this is in your notes, God's full of surprises. That's one great thing about our God. He loves to mess with our minds. <laughs> He's full of surprises and he does things I didn't didn't think it would happen this way. And he seems to take pleasure in using the simple and the unsuspecting to do his greatest works on earth. He loves the humble. And he gives them places of prominence in his story or in history. Uh, so before Jesus was born, there was some suffering, wasn't there? He came to be the suffering servant, but there's already some suffering in the lives of Mary and Joseph. He could have divorced her. He could have sent her away. But he knew because of this visit he had from the angel, he said, here's what God's going to do. He knew God's plan. He trusted the angel's words, and he stayed faithful both to God and to Mary. I think that Joseph, even though he's quite overlooked by and large in the story, I think he's quite a man. I really admire the man that God chose to be the stepdad, if you will, the adopted father of his son. The prophecies in the Old Testament that we've been looking at predicted Messiah's birth would take place in a specific place in Bethlehem, located just seven miles from Jerusalem in that southern region of Judea. wasn't far away. Joseph and Mary, living in Nazareth, would for some reason, however, need to travel. They've got to get to Bethlehem. The prophecy says he'll be born in Bethlehem. You live in Nazareth. Seventy miles is a long way to travel in those days. 
You live in Nazareth. You got to get to Bethlehem for that prophecy to come true. And all God's prophecies do. That was God's plan. So how did he get him to Bethlehem? God's great. And again, how he surprises and the things that he uses. He used Caesar, the emperor, all the way over in Rome, who knew nothing of God's plan to make sure that it happened. Look with me, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Luke chapter 2. You know the story. Let's read it. Let me read it to you. And in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the entire whole empire would be registered. The census taking place here. And this first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So Luke is very detailed in his writing because he's a medical doctor. He wants the detail. So he gives us all these historical tidbits. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. But you said they lived in Nazareth up in Galilee. That means they went to their ancestral home. Luke, or excuse me, Joseph was a descendant of David. Bethlehem is the hometown of David. Mary is descended from David. And we're talking about 500 years away, but descended from David. So Bethlehem is also her hometown. So they go to their hometown, their ancestral hometown, to be registered. And Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Now, wait a second, Rick. You said Galilee is up north and Judea is down south. And it says right here in my Bible that he went up, he went up from, from Nazareth to Judea. Is that confusing? Well, if you stop and think about it, Judea sits high on the hills, right? In the mountainous region. So to get to Judea, even though you traveled from the north a long ways, to get to Judea, you had to travel up the hill, up the mountains. He went up to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David to be registered along with Mary who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And while they were while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. And in the same region, not far away, the shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock and an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. That's a phrase that's used a lot in the Bible. Jesus said it a lot. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news. I've got good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior who is Messiah, Christ, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be the sign for you. How do do we know who he is? You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. How often do you find a baby in a manger, a feeding trough? You know, that's the sign. This is going to be unique. Not in a a hospital, not in a nice clean house, uh, not with a midwife attending in a feeding trough. And suddenly... The angel speaks these words. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host. These are angels. Praising God and saying, by the way, I know we sing it. Hark, the herald angels. But it doesn't say they sang. All right? Oh. 
Maybe they did. But it says they said, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's get there right now and see what's happened which the Lord has made known to us. We got to see this to believe it kind of a deal. Man, we've seen angels. We've listened to them praising God. I wanted to say maybe the hallelujah chorus, but no, no, that came much later. We've heard them praising God. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what's happened, which the Lord's made known to us. So they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph. There's a comma there. If you're looking at your Bible, found both Mary and Joseph, comma, and the baby lying in the feeding trough. All three were not there in the trough, okay? Just the baby Jesus. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told, hey, you won't believe this, but we're out there watching our sheep, and an angel showed up and told us that to come and find you, that this was happening. Shepherds said to them, and all who heard this were amazed at what they said. They told them, reported it, what they were told about the child. Verse 19, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them because now she's thinking, wow, an angel appeared to me and told me what was going to go on. And an angel appeared to Joseph and told him what was going on. And angels have appeared to the shepherds and told them what was going on. And they praised God. This is incredible stuff. And, and this goes into my baby's scrapbook. She's meditating on all these things and, and meditating on them thinking about them, treasuring them in her heart. The shepherds returned back to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. The prophet had foretold that Messiah would come from this line of David, their greatest king. But years of exile and, and captivity in, in Assyria, in, in Babylon, years of exile had destroyed their monarchy. And it had been hundreds of years since a descendant of David had been king. And one of the great proofs that Jesus is no self-proclaimed Messiah lies in those genealogies. I told you Sunday, go back and read them in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 4. Because the Jews were very protective of keeping their genealogies because it gave them right to property. And in the case of David's family, gave them right to the throne. And this is how Mary and Joseph, by the way, knew we've got to go to Bethlehem because they knew their genealogy. So they went to Bethlehem, David's hometown, for taxing and census. The one born king of the Jews was born without pomp and circumstance. There was no national proclamation from the balcony of the palace. No horns blowing, a fanfare to announce the birth in Jerusalem where the palace was. There were no midwives attending his birth in the comfort of a queen's chambers. There was not even a room available in the town of Bethlehem because it was swollen with people like Mary and Joseph coming for the census. So the ancient of days, these are terms, these are names that Jesus has given in the Old Testament. The ancient of days, the rose of Share in the day spring, the Son of God, think with me, would be born among animals, among livestock, in the filth of a stable. Gail and I were reading this story the other day, and she wondered why, why is it that shepherds got the news before anyone else? Why shepherds? Because shepherds were, you know, usually they're out in the fields with the sheep for days and days, and they're usually kind of dirty and smelly, and they're the, 
bottom of the social ladder shepherds were. Nobody really wanted to be a shepherd. They slept out under the stars with their sheep. But this goes to show how God surprises. You think they told everything, everybody what they saw? Hey, we saw angels light up the night sky. Have you seen that before? What? We saw angels light up the night sky, and they were praising God. But it says they did share these things. But who would have believed them? Shepherds. Who would have believed? Oh, yeah, right. What were you guys drinking before all this happened? They were shepherds. But the Bible tells us there their lives were changed forever. And you probably know the rest of the story, how this baby would grow into manhood, how he would begin to proclaim the gospel and by his death and resurrection prove that he was and is the son of God. And he opened the way to God that Adam had closed. So with this story in Luke chapter 2, the fullness of time came. And it came with Jesus, which... My point is, if you're taking notes, all of history, all of his story culminates in the life of this one man. All of history, it funnels all the way down to this night in Bethlehem. All of eternity is determined by his coming to be our Savior. Think about that. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.